People might not think that millions of years is a big deal, but why does it actually matter for the rest of the gospel? A really big point is millions of years of death and disease and extinction among the animals is a problem for both the Bible's teaching about the fall, the pre-fall world, the impact of the fall and God's curse on the whole creation, and the character of God. Because he looks at all of this if the millions of years is true, and he says, well, that's all very good. Hey, and welcome to Zero Compromise, helping you stand for truth in a world that falls for lies. I'm Patricia Angler, joined here at the Answers Education Lab with Jessica DeFord, aka JJ. Hello. And we have a special guest that we've been wanting to interview for a while, so what's going on? We are honored to have Dr. Terry Mortensen. He is a writer and speaker for Answers in Genesis. He's been working for the ministry for a very long time, has a really cool testimony, really neat stories from being a part of the ministry for so long, so we're really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, that's right. So you do a number of different things here. You have um, actually a program called Answers University on Answers.tv. We can hear a little bit more about some teachings there. I know some of our past guests that we've had on the show have actually talked about some of the articles you've written about theistic evolution and that kind of thing. So there's so many cool things that we can talk about today. But for getting started, what's kind of your background story? How did you become a Christian? But then how did God lead you from there to Answers in Genesis? Okay, well, great. Um, I grew up in a church-going family in Minnesota, um, and we went to church every Sunday. But It wasn't a church that really clearly explained the gospel. So I went off to the University of Minnesota, and I became a typical college student, (laughs) going to to uh, dorm parties and fraternity parties, and I, I still believed in God, but I didn't see any relationship of His existence to my daily life. So I was not a, we weren't a, a wealthy family, but we weren't poor either, and I was a B student, so life was just going along fine. But I became increasingly aware in my first year at the university of kind of the three really important questions of life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And what will happen to me when I die? And I uh, believed God had something to do with that, but I didn't I didn't really know what, what to make of it. So, But it was in the spring of my freshman year that a staff member from Campus Crusade for Christ called me on my dorm phone and asked me to get together with him. And as he explained the gospel to me, it really made sense. And I, I realized that I was a sinner and that I needed to personally respond to the gospel. It wasn't enough just for me to have this information in my head that I had from Sunday school. And uh, so I received Christ in uh, 1972. And um, very soon after that, I went to Campus Crusade at a huge conference in Dallas, Texas for 85,000 Christians for a week of training and evangelism. And uh, so it was at that time that God began to call me into full-time Christian ministry. And after I graduated, I was very involved with Campus Crusade in college and then joined the staff of Campus Crusade, served for two years in um, Purdue University uh, with Campus Crusade and then up in a university in northern Minnesota and then was asked to go over and uh, direct our work in uh, communist Czechoslovakia. So cool. So that was 1980 and uh, I tried to find a way to move into the country. We just had one little baby at the time as a student and uh, Czechoslovakia did not have good relationships with the United States in those days. And so uh, after after a couple of years of that, I realized this is not going to work. And so then I began to find a way to do some business in the country, see if I could generate enough activity that would justify living in the country. And we ended up moving out of Austria, where we had started, to England, and um, for various reasons— but I continued to travel in and out of Czechoslovakia, and our ministry was covert. We were working with students 
underground, had to be very careful um, how we met them. So uh, I, I worked with one of my supporters who had an agricultural equipment company that was state-of-the-art. So we actually put a machine on a state farm in Czechoslovakia for testing for a year. But in the end, the goal was to get a license agreement so that they would have distribution rights for all of Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union. And that level of activity would justify me living in the country with my family. But uh, in the end, they just couldn't afford the hard currency. So mm-hmm. during those eight year or 10 years of being a, a country director for our ministry, I realized I'm not a country director. <laughs> I have a passion for truth. And it, and although I was representing a real company, it was psychologically very hard for me because the only business experience I had was stocking the shelves in my dad's drugstore in a town of 1,600 people. Wow. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure it so, didn't make it easy being in a communist nation either and having to navigate all of that. I'm sure it's very yeah. difficult. And when I was in Austria, I found a Czech fan, a couple, and I started learning the language. But when I went on my business trips, I didn't want them to know that I was learning the language. Sure. And so uh, it was, yeah, there, there was a lot of stress there. And so just before the fall of communism, uh, without any premonition that communism was going to collapse, uh, I decided I need to go back to the States and get some seminary training. Mm-hmm. And so that's what led me back in... Uh, 1989, just before the fall of communism. Wow. Right. So then you went and you got your master's in divinity, correct? And then you went out and um, got a a doctorate. So then um, how did that experience then translate to joining Answers in Genesis? Well, I didn't know what I was going to do. We were still on Campus Crusade staff, um, and I still had a heart for Eastern Europe, but I I didn't know how it fit in because the you know the the world had changed and I uh, didn't want to go back and be a country director for sure. So I asked my European director and uh, he he approved me going on to do a PhD and I, I wanted to study where did this start because I already knew enough that it didn't start with Darwin. Hmm. And so I I wanted to study the historical roots of this controversy. And so that's what led me back to England, where we had been living. And uh, I only applied to one school, got accepted, did a PhD, uh, focused on where the millions of years idea came from. Wow. So it was in geology, correct? Right. Yeah. And how the church responded to that in the early uh, 1800s, 50 years before Darwin, and most of the church did compromise with that millions of years. And so I was, I was reading the writings of geologists, r- the writings of Christians who were responding to these. So it deepened my conviction about the truth of Genesis because uh, I, I understood where the ideas came from. And halfway through that, the former East German director of Campus Crusade called me and uh, said, we're starting a theological team for our Eastern European, to train our Eastern European staff at a higher level, and um, we'd like you to pray about joining that. And so um, after I finished my PhD, that's what I did for five years, traveled to uh, all of the Eastern European countries and some of the Soviet republics and taught um, seven-day courses through translation. That's so cool. So, yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. How, how did you get involved specifically with Answers in Genesis? What led you into the ministry here? Well, um, when I was working on my PhD, I wrote to Dr. Andrew Snelling, who was in Australia at the time, uh, because I knew he would be interested in my research on the history of geology. And so um, 
he he was, and so that's how AIG found out about me. And uh, they called me about a year after we moved to Hungary, after my studies, and asked if I would be interested in going back to the UK. And I said, well, we <clears throat> we would love to go back to the UK, but uh, I said, you don't want an American leading the British ministry because uh, that that would not be good. You need a Brit a Briton, and. Uh, uh, so, but I said, we've only been here for a year and, you know, it's not time yet. And then they called a couple of years later and said, well, Ken Ham needs help in the States. So that's how I ended up coming here. That's cool. So you've really seen uh, the ministry grow quite significantly then over the years. Yeah. We came looking for housing the day they broke ground on the museum. Wow. wow. So. Yeah. I'm sure you've experienced a lot of things. And also, can you quickly touch on um, the importance of believing in Genesis and standing on Genesis? We talk about that a lot here at the ministry, and you have experienced, a, I'm sure, a big shift in that over the many years that you've been involved with the ministry. So can you just speak on the importance of standing on the authority of God's Word in Genesis specifically? and why we do that here at the ministry. Yeah, well, I realized the importance of that uh, after becoming a Christian. One of the first books, a couple of books I read were by Henry Morris and Dwayne Gish. So right early uh, in my Christian life, I saw that this is important. And then as I shared my faith with students on campus and then in Eastern Europe where they were totally indoctrinated in evolutionary thinking, I saw it. And then when I went to seminary, an excellent evangelical seminary, but none of my professors believed Genesis. And and uh, I was not impressed with their handling of the issue. And so that that helped me see in a in a kind of in a negative sense um, that this is really important. And then when I did my PhD, I saw how the old earthers were ignoring the text of scripture or superficially interpreting it. And the, the men that I really studied, the scriptural geologists were really uh, focused on the text. So all of that deepened my conviction. And then as I've had the privilege of speaking in 35 countries on this, I just see the impact of evolutionary teaching and, and the millions of years that has undermined the authority of the scriptures in the minds of Christians. And one of my greatest burdens is how it has undermined the authority of Scripture among our theologians and Bible scholars. Absolutely, because they're the ones that are then leading the church. So you have a really great article. I definitely recommend it if um, people are wanting to look more like in-depth. I mean, there's a lot of resources we could get to, but one really good article that uh, you wrote recently is um, Theistic Evolution is Not the Problem. And then you talk about millions of years, which of course ties in with theistic evolution. So what were some of the points there about how specifically uh, people might not think that millions of years is a big deal, but why does it actually matter for the rest of the gospel? Well, a really big point is you can't have millions of years of death and disease and extinction among the animals and other natural disasters like earthquakes, tsunamis, uh, asteroid impacts. Millions of years of that is, is a problem for both the Bible's teaching about the fall, the pre-flood, uh, the pre-pre-fall world, the impact of the fall and God's curse on the whole creation, and the character of God. Because he looks at all of this, if the millions of years is true, and he says, well, that's all very good. And so that's a point that I really make. And it's it's a point that I've found in all the countries I've been in and all the seminary professors I'd have listened to who are old earth or, or books I've read. They almost all ignore this very important theological and biblical problem. A second one is they almost all ignore Noah's flood. And they don't see the connection between um, the the flood and the history of the earth. 
And and then another point that I've found that they've for, forgotten to look at is um, what Jesus had to say about Genesis. And in particular, he, he conveyed his belief that Adam was there at the beginning of creation, not billions of years after the beginning. And so those are, those are some of the points that I make in that and uh, that I have found as I have, you know, written, been involved in the Evangelical Theological Society, helped to lead Grand Canyon trips for scholars. Most of them have never thought about these. Even young earth creationist scholars haven't thought about these points. Sure, yeah. Yeah, we talk, we talk a lot about here at the ministry that it's not a salvific issue, but we do believe it's an authority issue, that they're compromising on the authority of God's Word, specifically in Genesis. So it's really important that we solidify that as believers in Christ and stand on God's Word, because it's all true from beginning to end. Um, I'm sure that you have experienced a lot of different things throughout the ministry over the many years that you've worked here. I would love to hear just a fun story that um, happened throughout your many years and anything you want to share in regards to that. Well, I've had, I've had a couple. Um, one, I, I drove the AIG van with the books and resources out to Pittsburgh to speak in a church. And I was, I was a little early, so I thought, well, I'll just stop here on the, on the outskirts of Pittsburgh and fill up the, the vehicle with gas. And, uh, and then right across the street was a McDonald's, so I'll pick up something and drive the 45 minutes to get to the church. So <clears throat> I pull in and get the gas, but I was standing in a way that I couldn't see the sign on the little flap that you hold out. And so I didn't see that it says diesel only. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and of course, what the nozzle on the diesel is bigger than the nozzle for... Yeah, Yeah. so I put in regular gas Uh in this. Oh, no. And uh, then I drove across the street, went to the McDonald's drive-thru, got my stuff. And as I was eating one of my French fries, as I pulled out of the driveway to the corner, which was only about 30 yards from the McDonald's, uh, the vehicle stalled. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, boy. Yeah. And, how, yeah I was going to say, how did you get out of that situation? <laughs> well, a police officer came and pushed me out of the intersection, and then it just happened to be an exit where one of those tow truck companies has their <laughs> base. Oh, perfect. So they came and hauled it, but they had to drain the whole gas oh, tank. Boy. And the pastor had to come and get me and drive me back. And so yeah. that was really embarrassing. So I always look at the flap yeah. on the inside. Yeah, that's, that's so good to know. That's totally something I would do too. So I can just resonate <laughs> with that so much. So good to know. I'll try to remember. Look at the flap. If I'm ever driving a ministry van. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure you've experienced some difficulty in the ministry too. So I would be interested to also hear um, a story that you had to overcome an obstacle or something like that, or just some difficult situation that occurred at the ministry. Or a really like confrontational situation with people who ask questions at the end and, oh, it can get tense. There's some interesting questions that people ask. It's interesting. Uh, The the greatest criticism, and I've spoken in secular universities and secular university classrooms, the greatest opposition I have ever experienced was a professing Christian at a church in England Hmm. um, who said I should have never gotten my PhD and everything I said about Darwinian evolution was wrong, although he didn't point to a specific thing. But probably the most memorable, difficult experience was speaking at a church here in America where uh, I was going to, they had two services in the morning. So I did my relevance talk. I talk about the marriage issue and the gay issue and everything, but I'm, I don't say gay people are going to hell or, you know, I don't say anything 
negative other than that it's it's contrary to God's created order and God's uh, commands. So I I get done with that morning service and they had a green room behind the uh, in the back of the church and so I went in there and the the pastor uh, no it was right at the end after I got done and we were doing the last song and he said uh, could could I go talk to you in the green room so we went in the green room and he said you're going to have to change your talk we have a transgender couple in our church, and uh, you know, we, you just can't say that. And we wanted more about intelligent design, so you you need to add some more in that. So I'm I've got 20 minutes before the next service starts, and I'm trying to find slides and different talks and fit them, you know, fit them in and make a transition. And mm-hmm. oh boy, was that stressful. Yeah, did you did you still speak on transgenderism with I, the? I did, but I, I was just more brief. I just quoted Jesus' statement. Sure. Right. Let it, let it stand there, but so I didn't. I didn't compromise any of my convictions, but I. I just tried to make it as easy as possible for yeah. the for mm-hmm. the pastor, and then they called me. The pastor and the assistant pastor called me after lunch and asked if they could talk on the phone. And they said they had gotten some negative feedback from some people, and so. It was an interesting For sure. Yeah. And just um, to see that happening within churches as well, because I've been doing a lot of research lately. I'm uh, working on a a book on um, understanding and responding to kind of some of the neo-Marxism in culture today. So I'm super interested in all the the work that you've done in communist countries. But I've noticed as I've been researching historical patterns of persecution, it almost always involves not some like overnight, like light switch goes off and then it's like, well, let's start throwing Christians to the lions. Now it doesn't happen that way. It's a gradual series of steps that asks Christians to compromise in little ways that accommodate the the surrounding culture by putting not God's word as the higher authority, but something from the culture or the state as the highest authority, little steps like that. But then it's not just attacks from outside, whether that's uh, frontal attacks against the church or more subversive ones that we see um, neo-Marxists actually like strategically trying to do. You can see it in their writings. They try to um, cause divisions in the church and get one side to go against the other, that type of thing. But also you see patterns of Christians actually conceding biblical authority, um, whether that's to accommodate surrounding culture or just because of doctrinal drift. So that seems to tie in uh, for me for patterns of pressure that we're seeing in culture now. So it's uh, fairly disturbing to see Christians seeding that ground and actually accelerating the process. So what would you say for Christians that are maybe like seeing that type of thing come up, especially in light of what you saw in the underground church? uh, How would you connect their stories to what Christians can do now? Well, I think um, getting back to a point you made earlier, Jessica, that as young people, you need to come to a place of really deciding what is your final authority. You've got to you've got to drive a stake in the ground and say the Word of God is my final authority, and that means that it is supreme over your favorite Bible teacher, your favorite author, your denomination, or or school. Because as I often tell people who come up after I speak in the museum or something and they're concerned about somebody that I respectfully mentioned in my talk and and I just remind them there's only one person who never made a mistake and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody else has feet of clay and everybody else makes mistakes and so the Word of God must be our authority for determining truth and so if if you don't have that conviction uh, in your in your mind and heart you're going to be led astray by 
really respectable people who are brilliant, who know three or four different languages and have written tons of books, and they will impress you. And uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't be impressed with their intellect and their abilities, but they're not the authority. And so that is a critical need in the church today. And once you once you're committed to the authority of Scripture, then every every new idea that you encounter, you go back to the Scripture and say, now, wait a minute, is that consistent with what the Bible says? And so that can be on a myriad of topics, including morality and the question of origins and mm-hmm. political questions. We, we need to build our thinking on God's Word. Yeah, amen. That's solid advice. Yeah. And we hope young people really take that to heart as well. Um, in the last few minutes here, can you point people to resources and other things you've been involved with? You mentioned the geo the raft trip that you do, the geology raft trip. So that, and then the um, Answers TV, yeah, the Answers University TV series that you have as well. Right. Well, the geology raft trip was just for scholars and it was by invitation only. But Canyon Ministries uh, does uh, four-day, seven-day, and nine-day raft trips through the Colorado River, backpacking trips. And so those are great opportunities to learn. One lecture that I would encourage you to watch is based on my PhD research. It's entitled, Millions of Years, Where Did the Idea Come From? And I wish I wish every pastor, every Christian would watch this, not because I did it, but because of the historical truth that is there and how it It reveals how the church got deceived by not scientific facts, not rocks and fossils, but anti-biblical ideas, assumptions, philosophical ideas that were imposed on the geological evidence and are still being imposed on the evidence today. Christians need to understand that history. And I talk about some of the great people, Charles Hodge, B.B. Warfield, uh, Charles Spurgeon, good men who God used to help the church, but they did not understand where this idea came from, and they were misled. And through their compromise, they misled literally millions of other Christians. So that would be a good video to watch. It's it's on our website for free. You can also get it a longer version on the uh, Answers University series, mm-hmm. which is a series of about 25 hours of lecture. So you have to be a glutton for punishment <laughs> to watch that. But we go into in depth on why this issue matters, the flood, the days of creation, the age of the earth, uh, ape men, and the origin of man, uh, biology, astronomy, yeah, we would highly recommend it. And God has blessed you with a wealth of knowledge. And we're very thankful that you're a part of the ministry and impacting a lot of people through your programming and what you do. Absolutely. And that like resource on the Answers University is so cool because it's like, I've heard it described as a seminary class in your living room. And it's from an actual biblical creationist perspective, which as you heard, you don't get at a lot of seminaries. So definitely um, subscribe to Answers TV and check that out. Man, I hope we can have you back sometime to hear about some more of these yeah. historical issues, some more stories from your travels and the undergrad church. It all sounds excellent. So thanks so much for your time to today with us. We hope you tune in next time. And meanwhile, please keep standing on the truth of God's word with zero compromise. See you guys later.